Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast, where we talk to foresters about how they are using digital technologies in their day-to-day forestry work. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Forester. Today, I'm joined by Cam Brown from Foresight. Hey, Cam, how's it going? Great. Thanks for having me here, Cam. Cool. So we were just talking before we started recording that you had just come back from a vacation. You went coast to coast, east coast, Newfoundland, all the way over to Tofino. That must have been totally refreshing out of the woods, uh, a change of scenario or scene, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Spending time with family and uh, now back to the back in the saddle. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe for our listeners, um, introduce uh, yourself, like where are you based and maybe tell us how you became a forester. I I don't think I actually know the story and all the years (laughs) we've known each other. So I'm also excited to hear what the the connections are, but yeah, maybe introduce yourself and, and how you became a forester. Cool. Um, yeah, so I'm Cam Brown. I'm located in uh, Salmon Arm, BC, where Foresight's headquarters are. Um, my road to forestry is a bit uh, a bit of a long one. Um, I actually grew up in southern Ontario. I had no clue what forestry was when I graduated high school. I skied a lot as a, as a kid, uh, and I just took a year off and came out west and skied at Whistler for the year. And while I was out here, you know, forestry started to come into my world, but I decided I wasn't going back to the east, so I went to school at UBC, And I actually found a forestry program halfway through that first year and got into forestry. I've always had a love of kind of math, physics. I've always been of the geek side, but I love being outdoors too. And uh, I managed to fill both those two worlds with uh, a forest engineering degree come out of UBC. And then uh, when I finished there, my my wife was actually doing a chiropractic degree in Portland, Oregon. So I ended up doing a a master's degree in Oregon State um, and worked out beautifully. I got basically free tuition was a... TA down there and, and did a great program with uh, John Sessions and a whole bunch of other great folks down there where I learned a lot about heuristics, uh, programming, optimization, really got into the timber supply world. And you know, then after that, I came back up to BC and did the old uh, work in the bush as a forester for a good five years you know, on the BC coast and here in the BC interior. So you know, cool. eventually got my, I think I got my RPF around 1996. So that kind of dates me. <laughs> Wait, well, you saw the boyish look as always. I'm always like, because I know your kids are older than mine. And it's like, Cam always looks so young. It's like just like that, that boyish, that boyish look there. So very cool. It's kind of interesting. You mentioned uh, the, the technical background, because a lot of folks, when I talk to you, I, I don't, I'm still trying to see if there's this trend, but the digital forcers, if we call them, there always seems to be a, a lineage back to some point in the forestry career, but a technical background or, or some influencing force. So it's interesting to hear you kind of say that, you know, you've always come from that, that side of things. So you, you, you kind of went Ontario, West Coast, down back. So now you're in Salmon Arm. Um, what roles have you had? Like, obviously you said you've done field work, uh, all that jazz, but currently you're the strategic forester, I believe, for Foresight. Did I get that right? Yeah, if, I, if I'm working on projects, I, I call myself a strategic planning forester. You know, I like to work in anything to do with kind of analytics, uh, planning, uh, forced inventory, that kind of thing. Um, but I also have a role within the company. I'm, I'm, I'm a partner at Foresight and I manage what we call the Resource Management Technology Group, which is about 60 people spread out across Canada doing everything. Basically, if you're in the office most of the time, you, you would be in the group that I, that I manage. Um, and then we also have other groups that are more dedicated to field operations, um, you know, where they're you know, laying out cut blocks and roads and those kinds of things. So right. I, I, I try to spend my time between both working on projects and working on the business. And it kind of keeps me real, I think. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So for our listeners, maybe introduce us to Foresight, because I believe when I checked on LinkedIn, I don't know if that's the authoritative source, but headcount was, you know, 130 for Foresight. So like Foresight's a big entity, obviously, um, you know, 30, 35 years in the making. So a lot of history there, but maybe for our listeners uh, around the world who may not be as familiar with Foresight, introduce us how it came to be and some of the core services that you, you provide. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so Foresight was started in like 1987 by John Drew as a small company here in Salmon Arm. And he's, we're now, I think we're, as of right now, we're about 155, 160 wow. people. Um, wow. It on summer students. We usually take on 20 or 25 summer students every year. And those guys just headed back. So our numbers just dropped. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're a good sized company. We're fairly distributed across uh, Canada with staff all the way from Halifax to Vancouver Island. Um, most of those are, you know, the big numbers are all in, in BC. Uh, our roots are in BC, but we've got a presence in quite a, quite in almost all the provinces now. Um, we're a full full service forest management company. Um, so, you know, the folks that I work with on a day to day basis, we're doing, you know, remote sensing, forest inventory, timber supply, uh, GIS analysis. We're, we're, you know, I like to think of our group as being we're, we're here to help you answer questions um, and make better decisions in your business. Um, and sometimes we actually produce products that go beyond that as well. And then you know, we have a full suite, full suite of uh, field services as well. So uh, it's a pretty, it's it, company's grown significantly over time. And that's got a lot to do with uh, the, the guy who started it. John Drew is, is very much, uh, you know, if you have the aptitude, he's willing to, to let you run with things and, and, and build. And that's really what I've been, have been able to, to do here, which has been a lot of fun. Right. Very, very cool. Yeah, definitely. Those the, the great leaders kind of get out of the way or make themselves redundant, get out of the way and let let the, the smart people as often the leaders say just do their thing. Is there an interesting story in, in terms of how you met John and your partner at Foresight? Is there an interesting story how you connected or it was just uh, just a natural progression of your career? Yeah, it was kind of a natural progression of my career in ways. You know, there's a you know, a really dominant force in the in the type of work I do, this analytical forestry in BC was a, a guy by the name of Jim Thrower and Jim Thrower and Associates way yep. back when, um, you know, that got absorbed into a company called Timberline. But I was comparing, I was looking either going to take a job or take a job here in Salmon Arm because I was already in Salmon Arm. I came here to work for a much smaller consulting firm initially called Silitech. Um, And, you know, I was looking to grow a little broader and I ended up joining John here with the, when, you know, with that idea that I could grow something, whereas if I joined JS Thrower, they were already kind of expertise, and I, I still consider most of those folks peers and 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 you know, really excellent people to work with. But uh, you know, John's really provided me the opportunity to to grab things and grow grow the business. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, we we know it's a small forestry is a small community, no matter where you are, whether it's coast to coast uh, per se. So absolutely. Um, so maybe I, I'm curious to pick your brain in terms of like, you've been at this for a long time, you're a trained forester, registered professional forester, you know, over the years, from your point of view, how would you say the landscape has changed from a, a technology point of view? Because as you mentioned, Foresight provides like full service uh, you know, so, you know, the days that we'll talk about LIDAR, ITC, all, all the good things our listeners are going to want to learn uh, more about what your capabilities are. But I suspect you've also seen kind of this, I don't know if title is the right word, but a title change and how things were done back in the day versus how things are done now and being in the forefront with like boots on the ground. Like, from your point of view, how, how has that changed? Like, has it surprised you? Or is it just been kind of 
yeah, we, we kind of saw this coming from, from a distance. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I'll echo that there's been absolutely colossal change in the industry uh, around you know, technology since during my career. And, you know, I, I, I started off as a summer student. I actually colored maps with pencil crayons one summer. Really? Like, it, it's that crazy, right? Like the, the adoption of GIS systems on a, on a whole scale, you know, it came in during my career. Uh, you know, and then, you know, even something more recent is, well, not that recent, but, you know, you know, the, the addition of LIDAR to our, our lexicon in forestry is coming a complete game changer where we used to have, you know, 20 meter contours and, you know, you really had to go to the field to figure out what's, what's real. You now can get very accurate estimates of what's in the field before you go to the field and dramatically reduce that field time improve safety, improve cost outcomes. I mean, it's just been a complete game changer. And that's been a key focus of mine over the last, you know, at least five years, probably maybe eight now, is helping companies realize the, the, the full value of a LIDAR investment. Because it's, it's not just about making better maps. I mean, I've seen companies, you know, acquire LIDAR and then they kind of do the same business they've always done with some better data. Like they make a better contour map and go to the field and do what they've always done or you know, they use a canopy height model and just continue to do what they're already doing in the field. But you know, changing your business processes is where the cost savings are realized and you know, helping people leverage it, not just forest inventory or terrain, but you know, we see examples of it from working with First Nations to identify pit houses uh, that elders may or may not have known about. Um, some did, some didn't. Okay, um, cool. You know, you know this, the, uh, the scope and scale of what is possible when you have highly detailed information on the vegetation and the terrain, the ground underneath, I mean, that's everything in forestry. It's the vegetation and the terrain. So the, the step change in data quality has completely transformed how you do, how do you, how you run the business. Um, and I think in every company is in a little bit slightly different place in terms of where they are in that progression of change. Um, you know, it, <laughs> there's a great joke about people who do forest inventory you know the photo interpreters are very process driven they they, they draw the polygon they attribute the polygon there's, the joke goes well how many photo interpreters does it take to change the light bulb <laughs> right uh, and the answer is the, the, the photo interpreter looks back and goes change change what do you mean change you right. want change yeah <laughs> so, yeah you know it, these well-established processes of how we've done things like for forest inventory as an example you know it, it getting people to start to shift their mentality um you know is is it can be the some of the biggest challenge it's not about the tools the data it's about getting people to shift their business processes yeah yeah very very cool and and, and so I'm, I'm hearing we already heard lidar so i'm i'm sensing you know lidar is that game changer uh in the forest industry you and i have been at this long enough we kind of knew it a long time ago but maybe dragging people, uh, kicking and screaming, uh, whether they want to be dragged along or not. Do you think, um, what, what would you say, how would you describe, because you're mostly operating in Canada with a bit of business in the U.S., how would you describe the readiness of the landscape? You know, is BC ahead of maybe Alberta, Ontario, or is it kind of even keel with your regional offices in terms of adoption of LIDAR? Do you still have to uh, yes, LIDAR can measure height. Yes, it can measure the ground. Like, uh, would you say it's kind of caught up across the board or, or do you sense there's still more education required across uh, the landscape? It, it, it does vary. Um, it, you know, in some ways, uh, you know, the, the companies in BC have had to, to step forward and, and do a lot of the LIDAR. 
the BC government here is in charge of creating uh, forest inventory. So, you know, when you've got this fracture landscape of who benefits from the, the acquisition of LIDAR, in, in, in BC, for example, the companies really benefit from an operationally from a cost savings of, of how they develop timber, um, but they, they weren't getting anything from the forest inventory side because the government pays for that in BC. So, you know, we're in a, in a place like Alberta, where a single entity both pays for the inventory, pays for all the costs, um, you know, it, it things, you know, can get that return on investment that much quicker. So, you know, when the, the Alberta government really dove in in the early 2000s or mid 2000s, I guess, and they did the, the whole green zone uh, with low density lighter at that time, well, that was the best density you could get at that time. Um, so that was a real game changer um, and really opened a lot of people's eyes to what was possible. You know, guys like uh, Murray, you interviewed uh, in Ontario, again, leading the charge. I mean, you know, I think we've done the Petawawa Research Forest. He's got about 47 versions of LIDAR on there. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a real, it's a really fantastic, uh, you know, illustration of the change of, of technology over time. But, you know, I, BC seems, feels to me like it's a bit slow to the game uh, on the LIDAR side, uh, whereas uh, somebody like uh, New Brunswick, um, you know, where, you know, in some cases, if you didn't have as much to start, investing in LIDAR was a huge step change. Um, BC had invested in, you know, um, what we call the trim program. So if, if you're if you're already at this level and then a LIDAR is going to bring you to here, you know, that's a t it's a tougher rationale than if you're down here and you get to go all the way up here in one shot. Um, you know, something like New Brunswick made a massive change in their forest inventory simply by flying LIDAR. Yeah. So you see these jurisdictions really, I think, ahead of BC now in some cases, simply because of uh, their ability to invest in large programs. Uh, you know, even the Ontario government is now trying to figure out how to work through their um, their lighter program. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because you use the word that that keyword program, right? And I'd be curious to pick your brain where. Um, you know, early on, a lot of people are so project centric. And then when you bring that temporal component, now they're starting to talk programs like what's the refresh, revisit frequency, are you doing 10 years, five years, two years, but I kind of see that as success, at least the language has changed to program they they know it's not going anywhere versus you know a project it's done it's yeah. like you know filed away but but, but they're kind of signaling these forestry companies and other stakeholders that it's something here to to change do, do you think that's the case that will get there that uh because part of me i always joke when someone flies photo no one no one says yeah we're flying photo like it's like really see it's just like yeah we flew photo right but when it's lighter it's like like yeah we're flying lighter like like holy yeah. cow you're flying oh my god like it's like this whole thing I kind of feel like in a couple of years, it's just gonna be like, yeah, I flew LiDAR, who cares? It's like, I flew photo. It's like, I got satellite EO. It's, it's just another exactly. tool in your toolkit um, per se. But thinking of that, um, what maybe, maybe tell us more about what Foresight has done. So um, you guys are playing in the LiDAR space, Force inventory, again, based on who Foresight is in the services, it makes sense. Um, you guys had acquired Object Raku, uh, a LiDAR, ITC company, maybe walk me through the thinking there, how that came to be, because it's not often a forestry consulting company acquires a technology company. So in some respects, you know, I kind of think on the landscape, I can probably count on my one hand how many times that has happened. And, and, and it's so it's not something that happens very often. Maybe can you share like what the thinking 
there was obviously work with uh, Mike and those guys at Object Rock, who I suspected it was a nice synergy. But but again, maybe walk us through that thinking and how much how much push internally you had to you know support you had to get to actually get this one through. What, what share some thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so when when lidar first came in, I mean, it, in, internally just to start embracing lidar, there there's a bit of resistance because you know I, I started coming to my my partners and say, you know what, if if we get good at this lidar stuff, we're going to reduce our our costs for our field operations. Um, and most of those guys were, you know, the, the revenue generation was, you know, boots on the ground time. So we're basically saying, hey, you know, if we get good at this, we're going to reduce your business. So that doesn't, you know, it's not an immediately obvious business strategy, um, but it's a long-term win for both the client and therefore us in the long-term. So just getting everyone's head around what that meant was, was really interesting. And then as people saw the potential internally, saw the potential for LiDAR, um, you know, the inventory side, you know, playing with the canopy height model and doing those kinds of things were, were, was somewhat helpful. But then we, I came across uh, Mike Parlow and Object Raku and their ability to extract tree objects from the LiDAR point cloud. Um, and that suddenly became very real in terms of a value statement to our clients. Um, you know, we're very connected to our clients uh, all the way from the ground up to um, up, up, up to these strategic projects. And so that, you know, being able to get trees, tree species specific log products. So basically like a timber cruise, but a census across an entire landscape was a very powerful concept. And we saw some real, real, um, real, you know, business advantage in that. So we began partnering with Object Raku on a number of projects to kind of test it out, feel out, feel out what they were all about, just you know, try to prove the technology because most people are saying, "Oh, you can do species with lidar." No, you can't. You can't do that. That's not possible. Um, and and I I think you know that was my initial step as well. So we did a bunch of pilot projects, work with them. You know, it it nothing's ever perfect. Um, we can't predict species one hundred percent of the time, but it, it's certainly better than or as good or better than any photo interpreter is currently doing. So. You know, and, and and now it's getting to the point where we're starting to improve upon that. With uh, it's more than just lighter; it's 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 uh, bringing in multiple contextual layers, whether it be Landsat or sorry, Sentinel data, uh, you know, wetness indices, you know, slope aspect elevation, all those things that help you predict what tree species might be in a given location. Yeah. So, it, when we saw that potential, um, you know, working internally with uh, my shareholder group, it ended up being fairly straightforward um, because we all saw the vision. And it was really more about uh, structuring a deal that worked was a win-win for both us and the Object Raku guys because we needed them to be fully bought into the new process. And on and you know small tech companies are very entrepreneurial. And we wanted to make sure they felt that we weren't taking that away. That you know they could come and, and be part of Foresight and still have that entrepreneurial spirit. And 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 that's the reason I came here because I felt like I had that option to to grow right. the company. And so you know merging the two and you know having Mike Parlow come in it. it, it it's worked out, I think, quite well. Um, and they're now kind of what I would call a piece of the puzzle on the inventory side, because, you know, my experience as a, as a strategic planner, it's, it's just as much about the operational scale inventory as and we need to have the strategic ability to understand, you know, what is a timber supply over time? And when, a, when we've got our, we use a, a spatial timber supply model called Patchworks, when we schedule stands for harvest into the future, we want to know that when the model schedules that polygon, when we go to the ground there, it's actually real. Right. So, you know, historic polygon inventories, that was a pretty dodgy concept. 
Um, and, but now when you can build an operational scale inventory, scale that up or aggregate it to be a strategic product, add things like stand age, um, you know, and site index and those other attributes that, that allow you to, to run a timber supply model, we've not connected the, the, the dots across operational strategic and, and you get a, a, a better sustainable forest management product at a whole scale, at a, in a wholesale scale, not just, you know, let's figure out where to put a block. Right. Right, right. So, so, so we heard patchworks. Uh, so, uh, so in my role moderating, I'm always trying to tease out the technologies that play. So, for our listeners, patchworks that play for some of that modeling work. Uh, so, gotta ask. I've interviewed other experts in in lidar and uh, a lot of ABA discussions. Um, you know, a couple other talks coming up more on uh, ITC. Um, you know, I think it's great. Uh, you know, you're on the ITC business, but also saying, listen, like we, we're, we're not 100%. Uh, but at the same time, it's not like we're, you're 20% as far as I know, like, it's pretty good. So thinking from that point of view, um, what would you say the state of the art ITC is? Or maybe uh, I know when we can, uh, your company, Foresight and Limb Max, we had that uh, FP Arctic uh, competition, um, accelerated competition, you guys, you guys won that. At that point, there was some hybridizing of ITC versus ABA. But maybe for our listeners out there, because as we know, LIDAR is a hot topic, maybe share with us how you guys tackle things or how you view things. Um, is it really the delivery of a hybridized EFI? And, and what you're doing. I think you're delivering on hexagon, a hexagon tessellation as well. But maybe for our listeners who are either already in the space or thinking about getting in this space, maybe share, you know, what, what, not the secret sauce, obviously, but what are some of those outputs that you produce and the different flavors so that they can kind of connect the dots, ABA, ITC, or maybe it's both. Right, for sure. I think the first thing I'll say is whenever we approach an inventory project, it's it's a bit customized to the client and what they need and the type of forest they're working in. Some, some forests in, in Canada just don't have the same kind of value to warrant a very detailed, you know, and I, AKA more costly forest inventory process than, than others. So, you know, an example where there's, there's log products and log values are range a fair bit with by stand to stand. You know, that's something where, uh, an, you know, an ITC type approach or it would be more warranted. Um, but as a general rule, our approach is one of bottom up. So let's use the ITC approach to get as the best uh, description of the, of the individual trees as you possibly can, knowing that it's not perfect. You know, I'd say we're probably somewhere in the 75% accuracy for individual species. Um, cool. you know, if, if Now, caveat on that is if, if I'm in the, the, the southern Ontario St. Lawrence region with a million hardwoods, we're going to be lower than that. <laughs> yeah, we expect that. All the co-mingling, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So, but you know, if uh, if you're in a you know as a pretty standard project for us, we're in the seventy-five percent for accuracy on species, um, and then but what, we, what what the ITC doesn't do particularly well is find all the submerchantable trees that are hiding underneath the bigger ones. We have rewritten our algorithms to uh, find trees in the lower canopies. So it's not just finding uh, treetops and, and working its way down, it's working in the point cloud to identify tree objects throughout the layers. Um, but the, su the success rate of finding all of the trees at the, in the, the sub canopy stuff is just not as high as, as finding the significant trees. You know, we're, we feel quite confident we're finding the vast majority, like 90 plus percent of the big trees that contain the, the merchantable volume. Right. But, it, but if you look at, if you run a cruise on an area and say, okay, what percent of the merchantable trees, and that's anything, you know, better than say a 10 centimeter diameter, 
Um, if it's a, a highly structured stand, we're, we're probably only finding 50% of the stuff in that lower canopy and only 100% or 90% in the upper canopy. So, you know, we, we know we don't find all the stems, but we do, it does tend to find almost all the volume because right. you're finding the big trees, right? Yep. Um, so, you know, the ITC is really feeding us a, a, a great description of the, the key merge volume by species and log product. Um, but as you scale that up into a landscape product, there is bias built into that because there's no plot data that is you know, correcting for that bias. So that's where the hybrid concept comes in is if, if you just want the operational scale inventory that you want to feed cut block metrics, um, you only need to go as far as the ITC. Um, if you want a product that links to your strategic planning processes, then we need to remove the bias uh, and develop you know, basically a polygon product that you can put in the timber supply model and the, the, where you essentially take the individual trees and you summarize them to uh, tiles or hexagons or whatever, like a, a, the standard 400 square meter unit. Um, you can put that, uh, summarize the individual tree data is telling you and that becomes a, a predictor of what's actually there. And then you bring in all the ABA metrics as well as additional predictors and, and plot data on the ground and you end up with a final prediction of the, the best unbiased prediction of what is in that, that particular unit. And then those can be aggregated to polygons to feed a, feed a patchworks model. Yeah, very, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, so definitely for our, our listeners, it's probably for some of you the first where you're hearing this uh, hybridized. I think, Cam, you had brought it up the way many, well, it's been years now since I've seen you. It's one of those time warp things. It feels like just the other day when it's like with COVID and everything, it's been a while, but this hybridized concept, very, very, very uh, cool. Are you processing this like in-house? Are you in the cloud, like thinking of the tech stack? Um, is there anything special? What are your go-to technologies that you're like, obviously the object Raku algorithms, you guys acquired that company, um, they're proprietary to you, but are you are anything special like the usual Esri stack? Are you more open source? I think some of your data science guys are more more open source, but is there a special recipe for our digital forester listen, uh, listeners going, hey, I want to dabble with some of this data? Any any pro tips on that front? Yeah, I mean, it, we, we are definitely working in the cloud. We, we, we use an Amazon cloud system to store and manipulate data. You know, we've, we've written a lot of custom code to process data. You know, our, our algorithms that segment out trees are, uh, you know, the graphic user interface uh, to speed up those algorithms, um, not just CPU driven, they're, they're GPU driven. Um, you know, custom code, uh, most of that's written in C experimentation and, and a few other languages, but you know, our, it, it's really about machine learning in the cloud using large data sets. It's just, you know, it's not practical to do that kind of stuff. You know, the, the types of projects we're doing are, these are operational scale projects that are anywhere from 500,000 to a million hectares in size. So you're not doing that on any desktop PCs, that's for sure. Right, right, um, absolutely, yeah. And then in, in terms of the, the technology, I, to be frank, I, I probably can't answer those questions because I'm not the tech guy, but uh, you know, it's it's machine learning uh, in the cloud um, with, with large data sets for sure. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Yo, absolutely, well, even hearing that's great uh, because I know talking with different foresters, do you stay on-prem, do you go to the cloud, do you do something both? And, and I think what you're saying to, at some point with the data volume you're dealing with, you, it's just not feasible to, but, well, I guess if you had unlimited dollars, you can do it on-prem and hope you don't yeah. get hacked, but yeah, everyone's going to the cloud there for sure. Um, so so thinking about LIDAR, we're talking about that and, and it seems like that's a natural progression. I know you guys have 
uh, develop custom tools and whatnot. But but thinking of the the technology trends, uh, are you excited about UAV lidar, handheld lidar, like all the stuff we're doing is mostly linear mode lidar, the old school. I, I, I joked when you said yeah yeah it was high density back then. It's like you and I will probably have a beer in ten years and we'll be like yeah you remember that ultra super duper low density thing and we'll be like oh yeah you know the sixteen points per square meter right uh, time is going to change. Um, but but thinking from um, that. What is there anything that gets you excited on on the lidar uh, lidar side, or do you think what we have right now is already good enough? It, it can only be better going into the future. Yeah, we could definitely improve on the on the, the point density. I think we're we're quite keen on that. The the drone stuff that we've been working with lately, you know, instead of having to find you know tree objects in the in the point cloud that our current algorithms work on, it, well, our algorithm uses multiple ways to find trees, but the one that it, can be relied on even more going forward is actually finding the bowl, that linear bowl of the tree. Um, I know you guys did some work on that as well. So, you know, that with high density lighter, that becomes much more possible. Mm -hmm. um, and and in, in, in particular for deciduous trees, working from the ground up from a stump is, is to get stems is a far more reliable way than trying to come from a crown down. So, you know, high density lighter, the, the drone stuff we've been playing with is, it looks really promising. The, the key to to doing big areas though, is it has to be consistent. Like if you've got really varying lighter, you know, the overlap changes, the point density changes, those, those can be proved pretty challenging um, when you move to you know, things like individual tree extractions. So it, it's about controlling the quality of that LIDAR collect. And, and we, we work with three or four providers currently um, to do that uh, in an airborne style. Um, you know, our work with helicopter collections in the past were always quite challenging because you have a helicopter that changed the pitch in the yaw just very slightly. It just focuses that beam for a millisecond longer in one place and less in another. You don't get very consistent point clouds. So the fixed wing stuff has been significantly better for us. And I think we're gonna face some of those same challenges with UAVs. If they're, if they're buffeted by wind or the operators aren't particularly you know, adept at maintaining consistent quality, um, you know, these these object extraction processes are become more challenging. Right, right. Well, what's interesting, you know, you, you know, you mentioned you're partnering with different image providers because even with with the the move and acquiring object Raku, there's other forestry consulting firms we know that maybe didn't go that route. They went more the acquisition route and then kind of got sucked into oh, and I'm now a mapping company versus you know a forestry company. So it's kind of interesting um, because I was curious to see at what point does Foresight buy their own. LiDAR sensor, because then you can control all those parameters and, and then you can fly to Cornerbrook, you can fly to, you know, whenever you want <laughs> without asking anyone, just say you got a job and off you go. Sure. Yeah, I can't see us getting into acquisition, uh, to be honest. Uh, I'm, we're really keen to work with business partners on that. Um, the capital intensive nature of that, the, the changing uh, density, the, there, there are folks that are just really good at managing that type of a business. And we developed some really great relationships with these folks. Um, so when a client comes to us for an inventory project, we have, you know, we'll put it, we'll put out quotes to, to two or three of these folks just to make sure that we're getting competitive prices. But we know each one of these select providers will provide us what we need and we've worked with them long enough to get there. And I, I just can't see us going there to, to get into that kind of business. Yeah, for sure. This, this is where we start wagering, right? Like throw the, the 20 bucks yeah. down and go, let's see what happens type of thing. So I know you guys have built a lot of really cool tools, software tools to leverage a lot of beyond the EFI. Uh, maybe share with some of our listeners what some of them are. I know you guys have a, what's it called? Uh, it's a deflection 
line tool for cable harvesting. There's some culvert work. There's some block analytics, but maybe for our listeners who, who may be interested in following up and, and learning more about Foresight and its capabilities, maybe walk us through some of those uh, cool. And of course, I believe they're on your website as well, but it's fun to hear it firsthand what some yeah. of those cool tools are. For sure. Yeah, again, so it's it's this ability to how do we help our clients leverage the full value from a LIDAR data set? And you know, when you're when you're pre, pre-planning uh, in the office, cup blocks and roads to reduce the amount of field time, which can be quite expensive, having tools at your fingertips to help you get quick answers is, is really powerful. So initially, Western Forest Products on, on Vancouver Island and, and BC Coast approached us to, to develop tools, and we developed them for them. So they technically own the, the IP in, in it, in it, but we've developed a relationship with them where we're able to also sell those tools to other folks as well. Um, as it's kind of a bit of a, a partnership between us and uh, Western Force Box. Partnership, not in a legal sense, but in a, you know in a you know a joint project kind of thing. So what the tool is, it's really uh, it's an add-on within the ArcGIS environment. And right now it's in an Arc Map, and we're currently programming an Arc Pro version. Um, but what it does is if you have a DM sitting in the background or uh, an individual tree inventory, uh, you don't have to have them drawing, but uh, as you're planning your block, you can simply, you know, draw, draw a road and it'll give you immediate feedback on the grade lines you're running. Uh, you can draw a deflection line, describe the, the cable yarding setup that you have and it'll let, determine um, uh, percent deflection on any given area. Things like uh, stream profiles to understand whether it's a fish bearing stream or a non fish bearing stream. Uh, And then there's the force inventory summary. So you can draw a block boundary, uh, hit hit a button, and you get, you you basically get a a table that comes back that looks a lot like a timber cruise uh, because it's running on the individual tree inventory, like species and log products and so on. So it's a, we continue to evolve and build new tools uh, as clients tell us uh, what's valuable to them and as our own planning foresters saying, hey, wh- why doesn't it do this? Why, why can't we have that? So our, our connection in the operational world helps, uh, helps make sure that the product makes sense. Yeah, very, very, very cool. Um, so, so Team Foresight is expanding, I think even on your website at 10 locations across Canada. So, you know, that's super cool. What's driving that growth? Is this purely a strategic play? Is it really the investment uh, you mentioned earlier in the pod, you know, the vision, there's a strategy being executed. Um, Do you feel like the industry as a whole is validating that strategy and that's fueling the growth? Or is this just part of that overall, you know, doing great work, foresters being foresters, recognize that and and reward those who do good work. And that's part of the journey. Because when you look at a map, it's almost like, the, the, the foresight walls marching eastwards, right? And I know you've hired a, a couple people from the East Coast, even Ontario there to add uh, to Craig's work in Ontario there. But is there anything you can share in terms of, you know, what's the what's the the tactical or strategic move heading eastward? Are we going south as well? Are we going global plans for foresight? I think what I can say is that um, our growth is pretty much organic. So where, where we see opportunity and we find good people, we connect the dots. Um, so we're very, very often, very rarely would we be putting in any kind of, uh, you know, you know, investment for strategic growth. You know, we're really a people-based business, and if you if you find the right people, um, and you hire them, and you know, clients find you know find good people, um, and you know, it really is. If we when we focus on finding and maintaining and keeping people happy in the business and providing the structure around them to let them be successful, we continue to grow, and you know at at some point, maybe we'll get to a point where, you know, growing 
doesn't make sense anymore. We want to focus on where we're at. But to date, uh, you know, the demand continues to increase. Uh, we keep finding good people to add to the team, and uh, and the diversity is really useful. I mean, to be a, the pandemic was quite interesting in the sense that it really forced people into this video conferencing world. Um, so it really didn't matter where you were. So you know that very quickly let me hire. Um, I have four people in New, uh, Fredericton and Halifax now that I don't think we would have had those folks there, at least not doing the same type of work uh, without the pandemic because of the push to put all of our clients into a, a more virtual environment. So, yeah. you know, the, uh, you know pe people are, you know, those four people in, in, in the Maritimes, we, but we don't do a lot of work in the Maritimes. Um, the consult forestry consulting environment out there is uh, is quite different than elsewhere, and there's some opportunity, but it's just not the same as in you know Western Canada. But there is a lot of opportunity in Ontario, uh, and we continue to see. Uh, we'll con I think you can expect to continue to see growth in Ontario for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you mentioned, the province moving forward with their SPL. Uh, single photon LiDAR work, I guess I should remember, we, we should explain our jargon for the listeners who are like, what are these two guys talking about? Um, but yeah, with the SPL moving forward. So yeah, that, that's cool, to, cool to, to hear in terms of that organic growth, focusing on people, you know, for foresters, I agree, it's like you're out in the woods. And nowadays, truthfully, you can do your Zoom or team calls from the woods as long as you got you know, a couple bars, right? So, you know, as a forester, it's kind of a dream job um, from that point of view. Um, so thinking forward, climate change is obviously in the forefront. There's a U, uh, the UN report there, Code Red. Um, what are, and BC fires, you know, you're out there, you know, my, my sister-in-law's out in uh, Peachland and, you know, showing photos where it's just like orange and you're like, holy crap, like that's not that far. And they're like, no, it's kind of turning this way. And you see five bombers going down uh, to pick up water. So it, it's kind of crazy. But, and I, and I think there's your, you know, once we spoke, your daughter's a force firefighter as well, which I'm not sure I'd, I'd ever let my daughter, one of my three daughters do that, but hey, I'll have to take tips from you. But forestry, what are your thoughts on its role in climate change? Is this one of those, we always knew as foresters start listening to, to what forestry is about. It's not about, you know, just cutting trees down, there's more to it. But what are your thoughts seeing these later, these recent actual events in your backyard versus these reports that are really trying to escalate the language further? But what role do you see forestry uh, playing in that? Well, it's gonna be significant. Um, uh, I'm just finishing wrapping up a report for Canadian Council of Forest Ministers on how forests can play a role in uh, mitigating climate change. And, you know, nature-based solutions are gonna be, uh, you know, a significant part of any solution going forward. You know, something as, as simple uh, as the two billion tree commitment that uh, the federal government has put forward, you know, that's very much a long-term strategy. If you put a tree in the ground today, it's not really going to help us for at least 20 years by the time, time it's accumulating any kind of carbon. But there are a lot of things we can do with our forests to, to help, you know, remove CO2 from the atmosphere and, uh, and avoid emitting uh, new, new CO2. I mean, because of the renewal, I can go on this for a while, so just shut me off whenever you want. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, forestry is a renewal, renewable resource. Um, you know, we can create a lot of products from it. Uh, there's a huge focus right now on replacing concrete and steel with wood products, you know, mass timber uh, and, and those types of products. Um, architects who are trying to get LEED certified buildings are building with wood um, and wherever they can replacing concrete and steel just because of the lowered embodied carbon that comes with wood. You're storing carbon and it's a renewable resource. So, you know, forests are going to continue to be a, a major driver in the climate change world. 
Um, and out here in the West, as you mentioned, fire is a huge impact on that. You know, it, you know, we sequester this, this um, CO2 out of the atmosphere, but then we release massive amounts of it during these large scale wildfires. So part of that is about having active management of forests, um, you know, where you try to let a, a forest just leave it on the shelf and just it'll be there forever. That's probably not going to be the best strategy. <laughs> it's it's going to you're going to have to have some kind of active management. You're going to have to have good inventories of those forests to provide that management. I mean, I don't want to make it sound simple. It's it's not just um, it's about reintroducing fire. It's about how we manage the forest. But I think there's now going to be a lot more focus on making sure that we do think about how we manage the forest in light of climate change and the risks associated with fire. But you know, I'm I'm really excited by the whole thing. I love this this interplay of, of the analytics of carbon sequestration, for, forest management, forest inventory, you know, understanding what's out there and what can be. Yeah, very cool. Well, well part of me is always curious to see after all with universities, whether there's an uptake in entering, students entering forestry because they start educating themselves and realizing it's not it's not about making toilet paper or, or, or cardboard. There's more, so much more, more to it. Um, so curiosity, does your daughter still firefight? Do you have a heart heart attack every single day when the fires are going and she's, I don't know if she's one of those ones who jumps out of the airplane or something, but I'm just like new respect for you. I'm like, I don't know how you sleep at night. If that was my daughter, I'd be losing my mind. I don't know. Maybe I'm too calm, but uh, I have a lot of faith in her and she's, she's a very smart and well-trained individual. BC wildfire has never had a fatality in, in their history. Um, you know, they're, they're a very well-run, well-trained organization. She, she does actually work for an organization called Rap Attack, which means they work on quite small fires. They'll come in by helicopter, rappel down with ropes wow. into the location, put out, you know, fires that are kind of less than hectare in size, uh, you know, stop them from getting big before while well, you still have the chance type thing. And yeah. she, she's passionate about it. She loves it. I mean, most people who are working in that, that industry uh, are really passionate about it and I get a lot of joy from watching uh, watching her do it to be honest yeah yeah well, at times I wonder is growing up seeing dad the analytics forester you know doing this stuff and I'm gonna go the other way and, and jump out of helicopters and 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 save fires very cool so maybe if I bring us back to the technology front what gets you excited one three ten year horizon as we as we start winding out what 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 gets you excited from the technology point of view as a forester I think it's the, the, the ever increasing amount of data and good quality data on the, our operations in the forest, the forests themselves, and the opportunities to connect all of that. I mean, you guys are doing some neat work in, in those types of areas. So, you know, when, when, a, when a harvester head cuts down a tree, uh, we're tracking that that tree has fallen and we can track it through a supply chain and understanding, uh, making those connections, optimizing haul cycles. Uh, you know, there's just so much opportunity to improve what we do in, in the forest. You know, I, I, a bit of a sidebar, like when, when I went into forestry, very few people came in uh, who were, I, I readily call myself a geek. I mean, I like to play outside, but I, I you know, I, I started learning how to program a Commodore 64 when I was a kid. Just Me too. <laughs> it's it's so, dating us by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly, absolutely. But you know, this combination of, I love being outside and I love being this, uh, this, this kind of, leveraging data thing. And, and I think we're finally starting to see a few more people head into forestry with that kind of a vision. I was a pretty rare breed um, back then. I mean, a bit of a weirdo going into forestry, wanting to do math and engineering and, you know, write, 
write code, that kind of thing. And, you know, it, that's becoming a lot more um, common now. And, and it, it, it's, it's easier for us to find people to hire that, that understand forestry concepts and, and understand some of the technology as well. So that's, that, that's, that's a good thing. And I'm, I'm looking forward to just that leveraging that capacity of the human brain because uh, the pool who did that in the forestry world in the past was, was not particularly big. Most people went into forestry because they wanted to walk around in the bush, um, yeah. not, not sit behind a computer. Um, and now we're getting a bit more of the mix. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So thinking out 10 years, if I bring you out there, what's the, what's the digital forester toolkit look like from, from Cam Brown seat? Wow. Not sure I have a good answer to that one, but uh, I, I think it's, it's definitely one of, less boots on the ground time uh, you're always going to have to go to the ground to confirm and, and you know and address certain issues but I think you're there's going to be you know almost a, a virtual world you'll be able to represent in the office <clears throat> to do the uh, the planning and analysis work I think we'll have a much better handle on what sustainable rates of harvest are you know our current estimates of what's out there in the forest and how quickly we can cut it you know we've got good we got good information on that but it, it, we can continue to increase that significantly and then from an operations point of view i think we're just going to know where every stick is at all at every time and the sequencing of equipment um will will be you know significantly refined from where it is today yeah very cool and i love that knowing where a stick uh, each stick is uh, at every point in time for sure so as we as we look to to wind down together Thinking of our listeners, uh, we've got full range for people who aren't doing anything. You know, we can look south. Uh, as you know, there's different uh, different landscape, of course. But uh, and even when we look globally, like everyone's at different stages per se. Um, for thinking of foresters who just want to get into this and try different things, um, any what, what are maybe three pro tips based on looking back with your experiences dealing with the LiDAR data and, and the modeling and the relationship building, are there any pro tips you'd give that, that young or old forester looking to, to dabble um, in terms of, you know, don't worry about the volume of data, you know, don't worry about the tools, focus on this. Any pro tech tips you, you'd give to our, our foresters? I, I could go all over the place, I guess, but, um, you know, it, from a forester, I would tell them to go spend some time in the field first, for sure. Um, you know, make sure you're you're staying up to date on technology, but go spend some time in the field to make sure that what you're doing in the office has some real tangible validity to it. Um, once you get in the office, the amount of uh, open source software tools is, is phenomenal. Like even, you know, while you're in school, be able to pull some of the free segmentation algorithms that are out there, the R, R programs that, that have been made available by, by folks like you might, um, you know, there's, there's so much stuff that you can begin to explore and just don't, don't be afraid to try stuff. The, the people I love to hire are, are, the, are the folks that have already tried this stuff just, just for fun, just to see what they could do, what's possible. I think always ask yourself, what, 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 what might be possible here? Let's give it a try um, and, and go from there. But, but grounded in a re reality of understanding what forestry is all about. Right, right. That's, that, that's, that's, a, that's a great way to summarize it, you know, try different things, experiment, but don't, don't lose, uh, don't, don't forget about there's trees out there at the end of the day and tying it back to, to reality. So, so very cool. Um, Cam, anything else we, uh, you wanted to share with us? Uh, anything topic? We've gone through quite a few uh, topics there, but a, a chance for you. Is there anything uh, you're itching to share? Any breaking news, hot off the press news or anything? Uh, 
uh, on your side? Uh, no, I don't think I have anything. You've covered it pretty thoroughly, Kevin. It's been a great chat. I appreciate it. Cool. Very cool. So uh, for our listeners who want to get a hold of you, Foresight, to talk about new opportunities or projects or, or R&D or, or services, how what's the best way of uh, reaching you? Email, LinkedIn, Twitter, website. Uh, uh, what's the best way? Yeah, if you go to uh, foresight.ca, um, my contact information is on there. Just drop me a line by email and or reach out by phone, whatever works for you. And happy to chat. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Cam, thanks so much for, for joining. This is a talk I've been uh, looking forward to. I haven't, as I said, I haven't seen you in uh, years. Actually, I don't even know the last time. Maybe it was up in Northern Ontario. I, I don't even know now. It's kind of becoming this blur, everything, uh, dates per se. But thanks so much for making the time to chat. I, I, I'm sure our listeners are going to hear tidbits and, and get excited about some of the things they heard and, and hopefully follow up with you. But thanks so much for making the time. Really enjoyed the conversation. Cheers. Thanks, Kevin.